He is risen. Hallelujah for that. I'm going to be sitting here today because my back continues to act up and I find it helps. Sit down. I promise to keep all these sheets exactly where they are when I return this over there in just a little bit. Let's bow for a word of prayer today. Perhaps you, as you've been singing, your heart is full of the fact of the resurrection and the hope that we have because Christ conquered death. He conquered sin, conquered Satan. And all around the room, just, I want you to proclaim sentence prayers of praise out loud to the Lord. Just draw us into worship, several of you, sentence prayers of praise. Lord, we are grateful. You can hear the praises around this room. And those praises have been rising up to your great name throughout this day as you've been worshipped and celebrated all around the world. Lord, now as we open up your word again, uh, we ask that you would teach us the things that we need to learn. You would help us to grow. Lord, we pray that your word would be alive and powerful for us today. We're going to be looking at words on a page, but they're living truth, and I pray that they would explode with meaning. Lord, we all come with our various needs, desires, wants, concerns, and struggles, and whatever it might be, and Lord, we pray that you would help us find you today in the midst of it all, and that you would receive the praise due your name. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. You would open up your Bibles to Luke 24, and while you're turning there, I want to let you know of a book that has meant so much to me. This book right here, Behold the King of Glory by Russ Ramsey. It's a book that is used for Lent for the 40 days leading up to Easter, and I've read this a few times in the past few years. This year, I was telling my wife about it. And she jumped in and stole my book, and I haven't seen it since. She's read it to me a few times along the way, um, but I'm so glad that she was able to read through it. This is an amazing book. What it does is it pulls together all of the Gospels. And so we know that the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic Gospels, they, they give a, the same kind of picture of Jesus. John is very different, focuses on more the last days of Jesus. But in this particular book brings it all together, plus historical background. And he's a wonderful writer. And so he puts this into story form and really draws you into the story. So behold the king of glory. Just give a little plug for that. 
Um, if you might want to use that in years ahead, it's also good to read after Easter. It's good to read anytime, actually, but it's designed, I think it has 40 chapters leading up to the, the morning of Resurrection Day, 1940. It's got 40. All right, Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be this morning. As I was thinking about this passage, we've been jumping all over Luke, haven't we? This is not a book that we've taken in order, at least since I've been here. But Luke 24, now we're jumping ahead. We're going to go back and finish up Luke later on. But as I was thinking about this particular passage, several things began to stand out to me. Like the disciples in our passage today, the followers of Jesus, like them, we all know what it's like to struggle with our beliefs when there seems to be a disconnect. God's word says one thing, but the evidence of our life shows another. Or we know what it's like to experience the crumbling of our hopes we put all of our hopes in Jesus, and he seems to let us down. I'm a certain I'm not the only one in the room that's ever felt that way, that it seems like Jesus' promises are here, and my life is here, and they just don't come together. We struggle like that. Or we might even be, find ourselves frantically in the midst of so much messed up stuff in our world and so many things that can pull us one way or pull us another, trying to figure out what, what, is, it, what is our purpose in life? How do we find our way through all of this stuff that seems to be happening. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, are actually wrestling with these things in this chapter. We're going to look at all of chapter 24 today, 50 verses. There are three scenes in this story that I think will benefit us as we think about the complexities of life and some of the confusion that can be ours. This past week, I was spending way too much time on an internet search of a particular pastor. I'd run across a particular sermon that he had preached. He uses very flamboyant words. We would call them cuss words in his sermon. And so I was listening to this thinking, what in the world is going on? And so I began to, to follow a trail of sermons in the midst of hundreds of disturbing things I found about this particular formerly Baptist church. I ran across a particular message where he was talking about the Psalms. He was talking about confusion, much like we see in our passage today. And as he was talking about us coming into confusion, he referenced the Psalms. He says, I love the Psalms because it's all about confusion and perplexities of life. And you know what? They don't get it all together. I love the Psalms that just leaves you hanging in tension. And I'm sitting there going, That's, those are not the Psalms that I read. In fact, in my study of the Psalms, with the exception of one, they always find their way in the midst of confusion. In the midst of all the perplexities of life, what the Psalms do so beautifully is bring us back to our foundation. They bring us back to what we can put our hope and confidence in. They always bring us back to the person and work of Almighty God. And it's in his presence that the psalmist actually finds meaning. And I think this guy not only does he understand the rest of the Bible, he really misunderstands the psalms. And so as we come before this passage today, I think it has a lot to teach us. Here's an issue, though, in the church today. It's becoming an increasing reality that people in the church, I think generally, do not know their Bibles that well. 
They don't read their Bibles. They don't understand what the message is, much less even care about it. It might be something where they look at on Sunday morning. They might not even bring their Bible to church on a Sunday morning. They, they may listen to the message, may not. It's no surprise then that we find that as people engage the complexities of life, fewer and fewer times are they actually looking to the truth of God's word to find a way. Jesus models something for us in this passage today. The angels model something for us in this passage today that I think we really need to hold on to. As I said, there are three scenes, and so we're going to work our way slowly through the passage. I'm going to read it as we work our way through it. There are three scenes, and each scene focuses on, first, some confusion, There's confusion in each one of these scenes, perplexity that's there. It even in the English Standard Version uses that word in the first four verses. They were perplexed. But following that confusion is a proclamation, a clear proclamation that's grounded in the truth of God's word. And then following that proclamation is some more explanatory notes. It just explains a little bit more about what that proclamation is or what was going on in that particular scene. And so I think each one of these scenes actually present struggles that we have in our life as well. So on this resurrection day, we want to celebrate the resurrection. He is risen. You're going to hear me do this a few times this morning. So just get used to it. If you get tired of it, you can just be quiet. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to get tired of it. I'm going to keep it going. I think there's some things they can teach us. That last song that we were singing this morning, when I got up this morning and put, put my tie on, I went to the back porch and was just looking at the yard, and I could hear a sunrise service, and they were singing that song, My Chains Fell Off. And I'm li- listening to that song thinking, this song doesn't fit the environment now, but there's coming a day when that kind of song will echo throughout the highways and byways of life. We look forward to that day. We need to have an anchor so that we properly understand what God wants, is doing in this world, what he's doing in our lives. How do we struggle well would be the idea that I want to think about this morning. So let's look at the first scene. In this first scene, verse 12 verses, I would say here that there's a struggling to believe, just a struggling to believe. And so I asked the question from the very beginning, have you ever struggled in your own beliefs? If you're like me, you have. You can see and you can even understand to a certain degree the words of God's word, but maybe not so much the truth of God's word. Maybe you wrestle with what it actually means for you, for your life, for your future. You know you should believe something But maybe it's just too difficult for you to actually hold on to that particular belief. Maybe it's too complex for you somehow to take that truth and bring it into your life. In scene number one, we see that the followers of Jesus are experiencing this same issue. There's a truth that's been proclaimed, but they're having a difficulty actually bringing that to their experience of life. And so let's look first of all at the confusion in verses one through four. But on the first day of the week, this is on page 884 in those pew Bibles, if you want to, I guess you can call them pew Bibles still, we don't have pews here, in those Bibles next to you. 
Uh, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. See, they're confused in this particular moment. They're, they're, they, you can see the use of the word perplexed there. Even in the Gospel of Mark, I love seeing all the different Gospels' perspective on this story. As they went to the tomb, these two women went to the tomb that morning, it, it gives you a conversation on the way there. And on the way there, they're talking about, well, if we're going to anoint um, his grave clothes, who's going to roll away the, the stone for us? It's too big for us. And so they're not expecting what they find when they get to the tomb and they see it rolled back and, and, and it's empty, there's no body of Jesus there. They're in mourning after a few days of what I think for most of us would be an indescribable experience. All that they've gone through. But they're beginning to come to terms with his death. And they're going to no- go anoint his body. And then this. This is not what they expected to see. But there's a proclamation by these two men in this dazzling apparel. I've never been accused of wearing dazzling apparel. Usually my kids tell me I wear old man clothes. And that's fine. I'm an old man. I said, Tom, can you drag this, um, what am I sitting on? Stool. See, old man moment. I said, Tom, can you drag this um, stool over here? I need to sit on it because my back. He said, you know what that's a sign of? You're an old man. And I said, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm one step closer to Jesus. And so, see, now I can't remember why I said all that. Oh, because I've never been accused of wearing dazzling apparel. But these two men in dazzling apparel, look at verses 5 and 6. We we see a proclamation. We're just going to look at the first part of verse 6. But look at verse 5. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. They know they're in some kind of holy moment here. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, what's the obvious answer to that question? Because we saw him die. He's dead. That's why we're here. He's dead, but they're asking, why are you looking for the living? And that's just going to add to their perplexity there. He's not here. He's risen. And that's the proclamation And what I mean by the the word of God in our confusion is all the angels are giving them is exactly what Jesus has already said. I'm going to die. I'm going to be there three days. I'm going to rise again from the dead. Now, they may have difficulty pulling this together in their minds, but the angel is simply, in, in the midst of your confusion, the angel's reminding them of truth. How do they find their way through all this? It's truth. And so they must have been startled at the thought that Jesus would even be living. We take this story for granted because we know he is risen. I mean, we just take it for granted. We celebrate that this day. We know what's going to happen, but they're stunned. I mean, later on, Peter in Acts chapter 2 says this. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. That's Acts chapter 2. Verse 24, I love that. It's impossible if for no other reason. Why? Because Jesus said that he was going to conquer death 
And on the third day, he was going to rise again. Therefore, because Jesus said it, it's now impossible. What's the angel doing? He's just simply taking him back to Jesus' word. And, and so we find more explanation at the end of verse 6 all the way through verse 8. says this, Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. That's the passage we looked at last week. Chapter 18, especially verses 31 to 34. Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer. He's going to be given into the hands of lawless men. But we last week reminded ourselves this is a human story, but it's a divine story. Lawless men nailed into the cross and crucified him, but it was God's divine plan and his foreknowledge that put him there. Jesus willingly gave himself to the cross. And so the angels even say to the ladies, remember, he told you this. What does the angel do in the midst of their confusion, their perplexity? He takes them to the words of Jesus. They need to remember what Jesus said. And then it goes on and says, and they remembered. They remembered his words. It began to come together for them. It begins to make sense. They began calling Jesus' words to mind. And that's why we meditate. That's why we memorize scripture. So that in our times of confusion, we can call to mind the things that we need to remember in that moment. And the angel reminds them, remember these things. And they remember and they begin to call to mind. And oh, how their hearts must have been to come alive. And then they take off and they go to tell the disciples. John 20, in verses 1 through 18, expands this a little bit. And it gives us these details. Mary goes to the tomb. She tells Peter and another disciple. Peter runs to the tomb. He returns home. Mary tarries and Jesus meets her. And then she runs to the 11 apostles to tell them. And so there's, there's a lot of details going on. Luke's staying focused in what he wants us to see. But eventually... They do tell the apostles, verses 9 through 12. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to be to them as an idle tale. New American Standard Version says nonsense. An idle tale or nonsense. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by himself, and he went home marveling at what had happened. But look at those words. They did not believe. They're having a hard time with this. Mark 16 even expands this out, saying they refused to believe. And then after the other disciples came back and gave a report as well, it goes on and says again, they didn't believe them either. But some people are believing. In John chapter 20, the other disciple, which is usually John referencing himself, says that, that he believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Little by little, in the midst of all of their confusion, things are coming to mind, beginning to make sense. And what is it that's bringing sense to their life? It's Jesus' very words. Even here, Peter's marveling. They're trying to come to grips with all this stuff. Now remember, these are the same disciples that saw Lazarus rise from the dead. 
This is nothing new to them. They've seen Jesus do that. But the fact that Jesus was rising is just continuing to stun them. And what is it that's helping them? It's Jesus' words. See, that's the point I want you to get today. So many of us may have struggled believing certain things, maybe certain doctrines. What do we have to do in the midst of that struggle? We need to go back to what God's word says. We've got to find a perspective. Despite what this preacher said that I was looking at this past week, that in the Psalms, everybody's confused and they remain confused. It's not true. The psalmist, definitely life is confusing. But when they are in the midst of that confusion, they go to God's word and they begin to find some stability there. And so in this particular scene, the same thing happens. Now, I do want to pull back from this scene just a little bit and think through the order of events that's happening in this particular chapter is not by accident. I mean, when you step back from the the picture, you want to say, Jesus, come on, enough's enough. Just go to the disciples and show yourself. I mean, why the slow process of having all of these things unfold? Let's step back and look. You see what Jesus could do? He could just go and make it clear. I'm alive. I've risen. And they would say, you've risen indeed. And that would be the first Easter. It doesn't happen, though. Jesus gives them little by little by little. And you want to know what's true for your life, too? Sometimes that's all he's given you. In the midst of your confusion and your perplexity, he's just given you a little bit. And then a little bit more. And we find later in the chapter, he appears and they recognize him, then he's gone. That's not fair. Jesus, you can't do that. Oh, yeah, he can. And he'll do it in your life too. Why? Because he's growing something inside of them. Our faith is not about sight. It's about believing God's person, his word, and his work. Oh, God could come down right now in a light, a bolt, a light of uh, a bolt of lightning is what I'm trying to say. A bolt of lightning and manifest himself on this stage. But remember, Jesus has already said earlier, even if someone rises from the dead, they won't believe. And so Jesus, even with his disciples, is slowly unfolding this, giving them a little bit at a time. And perhaps God is doing that in your life today. And maybe this passage is going to be of, of hope to you, encouragement to you. Just believe what he's given you. Sometimes all you have to stand on is you know you were dead and he made you alive. And that's all you have. Because life is so overwhelming and so difficult, so complex, so perplexing. And you just stand on what you can. And then just trust Jesus and he'll give you a little bit more. He'll give you a little bit more. See, everything in our life is preparatory. God is growing something in us. It's so amazing being a professor of Old Testament and watching the way God gives Israel just what they need and nothing more. And then he asks them to reach deep. They see the 10 plagues in Egypt. Why? Because God is preparing them to encounter the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army behind them. And he's saying, I want you to reach deep right now. I want you to believe in me. I want you to trust me. And maybe God's taking you there right now too. You're right on the brink of something. It hurts. It's confusing. It makes no sense to you. 
And we need to hear the words of the angel this morning. What does he say? Remember. Remember what Jesus told you. Remember what God's word says and hold on to it. You see, we can hear teaching about Jesus and even have some kind of understanding, but it may take time for it to penetrate our hearts, our minds. As believers, we need to mutually help one another. Look at all the hubbub going on in here. They're going back to the apostles. He's alive. He's risen. I don't believe you. He is. We saw it, Peter. The tomb's empty. And they're all coming together, and they're trying to make sense of this. The angel said, remember Let's all remember. Remember what Jesus said? He said all this was going to take place. And the body of believers is trying to keep each other encouraged. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is a beautiful passage for a morning like today, Paul preaches on the resurrection. And he uses these words right here. He says, if we, he says you, but I'm going to say we, if we hold fast. We've got to hold fast. Because some things just don't make sense. Some truths of God's word are too difficult even for us to grasp. We just got to hold fast to them. He did rise and we will rise. Well, what about all the evil in the world? No, there's coming a day. What about the promise of his coming? That's 2 Peter 3. Oh, the Lord's not slack. He's being patient. Not willing that he should perish. He's coming back. What about momentary light affliction is is nothing to be compared to the eternal weight of glory. Hold fast to that is what Jesus would say to us today. All things work together for his good. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose and it seems so miserable right now. All things work together for good to those who love God and hold according, according to his purposes, live according to his purposes. Hold fast to that. And the angels say to the ladies, remember, hold fast to these things. So in our struggling to believe, struggling to stay the course and continue to give the Lord Jesus Christ all the praise and honor and glory to his name through a job you don't like or through a marriage that might be struggling, or through neighbors who you just can't get along with, or through different physical diseases or difficulties that are there. In the midst of all of that, the angel would say to us today, you remember. You follow me on this? You remember. Paul says, hold fast to the teaching. You remind yourself of these things. And you're saying to yourself, we're never going to make it through this passage. And I'm saying, you know what? It doesn't matter because I've made my point right there. But I want to get to the second one. Second scene. If the first one was struggling to believe, the second scene is what I would call when hopes are crushed. When hopes are crushed. Have you ever been to a place in your life where it either seems You are really messed up or Jesus is really messed up because what he says in his word just doesn't connect with your life. A place in your life where it doesn't seem that Jesus is delivering on his part of the bargain. I've been faithful. I've given myself to the Lord Jesus Christ and he hasn't delivered on his end. I've been a faithful giver. I've poured my money into the work of the Lord. 
And now I'm sitting here with nothing. And it doesn't seem like God even cares. I mean, whatever it might be for us, crushed hopes. A place in your life where you thought you were being called to ends up being a seemingly horrible place. Well, let's intercede too. Because that's where the followers of Jesus are. Here's their confusion in verses 13 through 17. I think basically you put it in this question. How did we end up following the wrong Messiah? How did we end up following the wrong Messiah? Look at verses 13 through 17. That very day. See, Luke is continuing the story. He wants us in the midst of all their confusion, struggling to believe. They're having a hard time, but Peter's marveling. That very day... Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had just happened. I mean, perhaps a good walk is going to help them sort this stuff out. They're trying to understand what's going on here. Jesus had gone to the Christ. Their friend Judas had betrayed him and hung himself. Jesus had gone to the cross and died, and they all ran. And then they came back together and they're trying to process all this stuff. All these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, this is verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now we saw this last week. They're they're being kept from certain things. And so again, when we step back, we see that, that Jesus is just giving them a little bit at a time. He's letting them wrestle with their faith. He's letting them remain in their confusion. He's letting them remain in a place where their hopes are crushed. He's just going to give them a little bit. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And so Jesus is trying to just engage this conversation of where these men are. Listen, they're in struggle right now. They have given the past three years of their lives. They left their fishing nets. They left everything behind them and became followers of Jesus. Some of them had very good lives. The family business, perhaps. And they left to follow Jesus. A movement that now has come crashing down. Oh, there was a great following. But then in the end, it failed. He was gone. He's dead. It was over. Three years. Maybe the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, maybe it's all a fairy tale. We put all our hopes in that. No one has ever been born who came closer to being Messiah than Jesus. And now it's, it's all gone. That's what they're wrestling with. And Jesus engages this conversation. Look at verse 17. You, you just have to, you have to feel this. We're, we're really bad at reading the Bible sometimes. We just read it really quick. But verse 17, you've got to feel what's going on. Um, and he said to them, what's this conversation that you are holding with one another as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. I mean, they can just feel the weight of it all. Oh, Where do we begin in telling you about our conversation? How do we even begin to move into this? And in verses 18 through 24, we're actually invited into their struggle. Then one of them named Cleopas. Now, many people believe this is the uncle of Jesus. 
So he's in the family, family reunions. He's there, maybe part of the family business. But Cleopas, possibly Jesus' uncle. So he's close to all of this from the beginning. Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Okay, Jesus is going to put that question aside. <laughs> not going to answer that one. You have no idea who you're asking that question to. Are you the only one? And he said, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And here's the key words right here, verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they not, did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. See, verse 21 is the key verse here. They had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem them. So you remember Jesus in the temple where he's lifted up, the one who's going to redeem Israel. All the prophecies that came along with this. King Herod's attempts to just exterminate this king, killing all those under two. I mean, everything, all the stories leading up to this, they don't have the same manual that we have that we can read, but they were putting it together in their minds too. We had hoped. You see, their hopes are crushed in this particular moment. Just crushed. What are they supposed to do in the midst of all of this stuff? And they're trying to put it all together. Maybe. Just maybe. Remember, some of them are believing. Peter's marveling. Some are kind of holding on to this truth. But notice what Jesus does. Following all this confusion, look at the proclamation. Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe. Any slow of heart to believe in here? Okay, is it just me? Is it just the disciples? I think we all have an issue with this. So slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. What is Jesus going to do to them when their hopes are crushed? He's going to take them back to Scripture. Do you remember the prophets? The angel said, remember what Jesus said? Jesus is saying, remember the prophets? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And then we have this further explanation, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Oh, wouldn't you want to hear that sermon? It would put aside all the confusion about where is Jesus in the Old Testament? Oh, he's on every page. No, he's not in too many places. No, this would be the sermon of all sermons right here. And no doubt he went through those servant songs in Isaiah. No doubt he began Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The seed of the woman's going to crush the head of the seed of the servant. And he pulled all of this together because the disciples' main issue, as I said last week, and my understanding is they did not know how to bring Messiah, the king of Israel, and the suffering servant on whom God was going to crush for our iniquities so that he might justify. They didn't know how to bring those two things together. And so what does Jesus do in the midst of their hopes being crushed? He says, let me open up the prophets to you. And he takes them in the midst of all their hopes being crushed right to the very word of God so that they could see 
the truth of God's word. And they could bring that truth into their particular life. It didn't make all their struggles go away. But little by little, they're coming to, to a deepened faith. And we ourselves, when we're in the midst of our, our hopes being crushed, where do we need to go? We need to go to God's word. You see, we're going to see the same thing happen in the third scene. In the third scene, the same thing happens. I start jumping ahead because I'm going to start bringing some of this to a close. In verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning with Jerusalem. Once again, he's going to go through the scriptures. I, I didn't even read verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's the focus right there. In the midst of their hopes being crushed, where does Jesus take them? Listen, oftentimes, we, we hear people say, "I oh, just give me Sunday school answers. You know what we need in life? We need Sunday school answers. When you go to the Psalms and they're, they're in this, the, just the deep, dark pits of despair, where do they end up with? Sunday school answers. I was reading someone's testimony this past week and she was new to church, didn't quite know what to do, but she said, as I sat in Sunday school, I knew there was a one in two chance of getting the answer correct if I said Jesus. And so I just started saying Jesus. And it was about rewards. She wasn't saved, but you got rewards. And the more rewards you got, you could buy things. And so she just, anytime, Jesus, Jesus. And she said, I began to get a lot of rewards. You know, in the midst of the questions that we have in life, Jesus is the answer to that. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus just makes everything go away. It doesn't mean that all of our problems are solved in this life, it means that we get a perspective that gives us a peace that passes all understanding. And we can get a, a rest that the rest of the world cannot know. We, we know the promises that it's in the future that he's going to wipe away every tear. He may wipe away some tears now, but it's in the future that he's going to wipe away every tear. No more pain, no more sorrow. Until, until then, there will be pain and sorrow. There will be struggles to believe. There will be hopes that are crushed. And Jesus takes them back to his word once again. And little by little, they're coming to believe. We could go to the third scene as well. Same thing is going to happen there. I've already showed you. What does Jesus do? He takes them to the scriptures. And we need to believe what God's word says. We need to rest on it. We need to look to it. Can we be a congregation that begins increasingly to stand on God's word in the midst of so much in life that doesn't make sense, that we just stand on God's word becomes so important for us. But there's one more point that I think we need to make in this passage. It's interesting what Jesus' application is to Easter. We go through all these events in chapter 24. And all around the world, we're preaching on passages like Luke 24, another gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection, and how important it is. This morning I was listening to a, a rather dry sermon on proofs of the resurrection. I thought, man, come on, let's just celebrate. Point number 17. All those are important. 
Maybe you're thinking I'm the same way right now. Tally's on point number 17. (laughs) All of those things are important. But where does Jesus take the happy resurrection day message? I was just getting ready to read it. In verse verse 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So in the midst of struggling to believe, in the midst of hopes that are crushed, in the midst of trying to figure out what's next in their life, John 20 tells us Peter went back to fishing. What is he going to do now? They don't, they, they're just gathering together, trying to figure all this out. In the midst of all that, Jesus says, listen, I'll tell you what you need to do next. I'll tell you what your life is purpose is that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from jerusalem you are witnesses of these things and behold i'm sending the promise of my father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high right there next to that verse you can say see acts chapter 1 verse 8 because they're going to wait in jerusalem And power from on high is going to come. And these same followers who are struggling to believe, who feel like their their hopes have been crushed, are going to be catalysts to take the gospel to the nations. And that's Jesus' application of Resurrection Day. That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. One of the beautiful hallmarks of this church is the number of missionaries that we stand behind around the world. Even this summer, sometime, Evan's going to be taken off Dubai, going to Dubai, where his company's going to send him, his employment will be there. But what a framework for him to begin to try to impact the culture around him. Why? Because all nations need to hear. Beginning in Jerusalem, that's your neighbor. That's the person you work next to. That's your family member who does not know Jesus. That's your friend from college that you still have contact with and you know that that person does not know the Lord. It could be your spouse Jesus says, let me tell you what resurrection day is all about. When the preacher says, he is risen, risen and the congregation responds, what is that all about? It's about me. It's about you being his witnesses to all the nations. And so we begin in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world And I don't think we can say this enough to a congregation of believers that we need to proclaim the message of Jesus. This is the most incredible news ever. Jesus died, he was buried, and the grave could not hold him. And he rose again, and he conquered Satan. He conquered sin, and he conquered death. And the God of this world is still alive today, and we are up against all the 
the evils of this world and the difficulties of this world, but we have a message to stand on. And in the midst of all our perplexities of life, we need to continue to remember, 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 and we need to proclaim, 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 because the whole world needs to hear this message. That's what I loved about hearing that song just floating through my neighborhood today because one day the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord. And that kind of music will just reign supreme. It won't be odd going to my back porch saying, what's that? Oh, someone's singing a praise song. No, it's going to be all glory to the Lamb who was slain. So as we think about this, this message today, it's amazing that Jesus rose from the grave. But in the midst of that rising, there's a lot of confusion, hopes that are crushed, trying to figure out the next step in life. The angel says, remember. Jesus says, the prophets. Jesus says, the prophets. God's word, it's pointing us in a direction. And now I'm going back to heaven and you are my witnesses. And we carry that on today. Let's all bow our heads. Dan and the team are going to come. And they're going to share some more singing with us because we have a lot to be thankful for. But as you bow your head and with your eyes closed, think of those two words, remember and proclaim. And ask God to teach you right now in the midst of whatever it is you might be going through, ask God to help you remember what you need to know to find your way, to have hope, to rest, to know peace. Or maybe it's the second word, proclaim. Maybe the proclamation of the gospel has been stagnant in your life. And you need boldness. Jesus told the disciples to go and wait and power from on high would come from them. Ask God for that power from on high. Ask him that he would give you boldness. But just offer up prayers for just a moment about the two words, remember or proclaim. Proclaim.